We missed the bells so significantly last Sunday that Joe just wanted to make sure that we heard them this morning before we began worship. Uh, It's good to have you back, Joe, and lots of other folks this morning. What a joy to see us uh, more and more able to gather as we continue to gather safely. And we come, we gather in the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, What a joy it is to be here on the first Sunday of Lent, the season that we began this past Wednesday with the Ash Wednesday service here in the sanctuary and out in the parking lot uh, as we began that 40-day trek towards Easter. A time for us to focus on the brokenness that we see in the world around us, the repentance that God calls us to as we stand very mindful of our sinfulness but of the joy of the forgiveness that God has given to us and the hope of the resurrection towards which we always move in life, even as we move towards it in Easter this uh, year, 2021. Let us begin in prayer. Lord, we thank you this day. We love you and praise you. We thank you, Lord, that you come to us, you find us, you love us. And out of that abundant love that you have given to us, the fullness of life that you have put in us by your Holy Spirit, we are able to love you and learn how to love one another. We thank you and give you all glory in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Let's stand and sing again, if you would, while singing Wear a Mask. And we sing a great old hymn of the church, Ask You What Great Thing I Know. And the great thing we know is Jesus Christ, the crucified. Let's sing as Teresha and Nora lead us. Ask ye what great thing I know that delights and stirs me so.
You may be seated, please. What a joy it is to be gathered in worship and praise God. We thank the Lord that we can now come together and both as we confess and intercede, know that God hears our prayers. Let's bow before the Lord in prayer. Almighty God, we do thank you. We praise you, Lord, that in the fullness of time, you, knowing our need for forgiveness, sent your son, Jesus Christ. We give you praise for his life, his ministry, his death, and his resurrection. Lord, now he is seated at your right hand, and he's looking at you and waiting for that moment when you will say go, and he will come again and call his church. And in a great rapturous moment, we will be drawn to heaven. Father, in the meantime, we're mindful that we still live in a broken world and we are broken creations who sin all too boldly and are in love with the wrong things. We ask that you would remind us anew of the forgiveness you purchased for us and that precious righteousness that you have imputed to us in Christ who now dwells in us with that great comfort he promised he would send, the Holy Spirit. We love you, Lord. We ask that in the power of the Spirit we would live differently. Not to lord over this world. That is not our role. That is yours and yours alone. But to be submitted to you in all ways, Father, that we might do your will. No matter what the cost is to us, that we might be that perfect or that beautiful witness that you intend your church to be in this world. We love you, Father, and thank you that we can now lift up the names and the concerns of those around us. We're mindful of many in this country and around the world whose lives have been ravaged in so many ways, particularly we remember so many throughout the middle part of our country who have been hit so heavily by winter storms. We pray for them as they piece lives back together and get back uh, into the normalcy of life. We're mindful that around the world, COVID has, uh, has brought so many deaths and so much illness and so many other diseases wage battle against very human lives. Father, we're mindful of the need for your gospel to go into all the world, to be preached to every nation, and we pray especially that it would be preached to uh, totalitarian states like China and North Korea and Iran, that in dark places that your light would shine with a beautiful fervency. Help us to be part of that work. Lord, we are mindful of people in our own backyard in need, like those we fed from our kitchen last night, and so many who need shelter and care. Help us to know how to do that with a generosity in our hearts that is nothing about what we may receive from it at all about how we might point others to you. Lord, hear us now as we remember these names. Robin. Father, what a joy it is to hear our voices joined together as we pray, as Christ teaches us to pray boldly, our Father, 
who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. And now children in uh, kindergarten through fifth grade are invited to join Miss Corey and Miss Natalie as you go out to Children's Church and you'll be studying the same scripture we're going to be looking at today in John the 11th chapter. Be blessed and we will continue in worship as Lauren and Norris point our eyes to the beautiful words of a great new hymn of the church. Yet not I, but Christ through me. Christ in me. What gift of grace is Jesus my Redeemer? There is no Hey. 
Silence is a beautiful praise to Almighty God. Thank you, Nora. Thank you, Lauren. What a beautiful, beautiful offering to the Lord. Would you pray with me? Father God, we do thank you. We give you all glory and praise in that precious name of Jesus our Lord and we ask now by your Holy Spirit that you would still our minds from consideration of things other than of your holy word. May you take our meditations upon it and may you direct us this coming week that in all that we do and all that we say we might show forth the glory of God. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. We turn our attention to the word of God. We find it in the 11th chapter of the gospel of our Lord and Savior Jesus. According to John, we begin reading there at the first verse. 
Now a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. It was Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was ill. So the sisters sent to Jesus, saying, Lord, he whom you love is ill. But when Jesus heard it, he said, this illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. Then after this, he said to his disciples, let us go to Judea again. Now when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off, and many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him, but Mary remained seated in the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now, I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. And Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. And Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. And Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this she said to him yes Lord I believe that you are the Christ the son of God who is coming into the world and when she had said this she went and called her sister Mary saying in private the teacher is here and is calling for you and when she heard it she rose quickly and went to him now Jesus had not yet come into the village but was still in the place where Martha had met him And when the Jews who were with Mary in the house consoling her saw Mary rise quickly and go out, they followed her, supposing that she was going to the tomb to weep there. Now when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. And when Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. And he said, where have you laid him? And they said to Jesus, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. So the Jews said, see how he loved him. But some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man also have kept this man from dying? Then Jesus, deeply moved again, came to the tomb. It was a cave, and a stone lay against it. And Jesus said, Take away the stone. Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, by this time there will be an odor, for he has been dead for four days. Jesus said to her, Did I not tell you that if you believed you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone and Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this on account of the people standing around that they may believe that you sent me. And when when he said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. And the man who had died came out, 
his hands and feet bound with linen strips, and his face wrapped with a cloth, Jesus said to them, Unbind him and let him go. This is the word of the Lord. And may God be praised as we do meditate upon this word, but even more so as we worship him in this coming week, as we uh, reflect it into this world, as it be, becomes the light shining through us into the darkness of the world around us. I want us to think on four things today, four points in the scripture, uh, scripture verses that have thousands of points that we could consider. So I don't think for a moment that I'm going to answer every question you might have about this text, but I encourage you to, to get in a life group and to perhaps reflect upon the sermon there in the life group. Not every group's going to be doing that, but several are. And so what a great way to take the scripture from this moment of worship and to dig in deeper to it. I want us to first think this morning about bad news, specifically the bad news of death. Because I think in a way that I've never experienced before in my nearly 65 years now, that death has been our constant companion these past 11 months. Because of COVID, death has crept into our conversations and even into our actions in ways that many haven't even noticed May I offer three perspectives? I don't think for a moment that there's anything original about these, so I claim no, no cleverness here at all. But three perspectives that I've noticed. First is the perspective of fear that we've seen. Imagine a man standing, that classic picture of a, a person standing, a, a great dagger above his head, hanging by a thin thread, the point of the dagger pointed down at the man's head, and, and it's as if we can hear the man's thoughts, and he says, it's inconvenient to be mortal. You never know when life may stop happening. Fear of death has frozen many into their tracks. I've observed also the perspective of false hope. Imagine again a person lying in their bed and, and again it's as if we uh, can hear their thoughts and, and they are saying, tell the scientists to hurry. I don't want th to die before they discover how to save me. Listen, let me tell you, because we got some great scientists in the room this morning. I am so thankful for science, especially medical science. Praise God for what it has done. I believe science is one of the greatest gifts God has ever given us. But haven't we seen too many betting too much on what science might do for them? And there's also this perspective of uncertainty. Like the young person exercising, eating right, sleeping right, doing everything right, right, right. And again, we hear the honest battle inside their brain. I'm doing all I can to live longer. I just wish I could figure out what I'm living for. And I've seen that perspective on life out there this year. And, and it has led to great mental anguish. Death is the Bad news we don't want to hear. We don't want to hear about others. And this year, the headlines have been filled with death. 
I challenge you to find any news story, any paper, any magazine that has not had the word death multiple times. Death has overwhelmed us this year with its frequency in our vocabulary. And it, and it, and it hits us so hard because we realize as thinking adults and children and youth that death is something we humans can't escape. And the reason we can't escape it is because the wages of human sin are paid in one currency and one currency only, and that is death. Every generation has faced death's specter. Every generation tries to beat death's rap from a fountain of youth to Botox to cryogenics. You can name billions of ways we've come up with, trillions of dollars we've spent trying to keep death at arm's length. It was the actor Woody Allen who said years ago, it's not that I'm afraid to die, I just don't want to be there when it happens. There's a lot of truth to that. You know what? God never faces this quandary. That's because God is greater than death. That's because God's grace is sufficient to pay the wage of our sins. That's because God expressed his confidence. We are uncertain. We are fearful. We put our, play, our hope in false things. But God is certain, and he expressed his certainty in his son, his one and only son, who proclaims across the ages, I am the resurrection, and the life. Martha and Mary, Jesus' close friends. When faced with the impending death of their brother Lazarus, they sought out Jesus. Praise God that in his grace, Jesus gave them good news, and praise God that still to this day, Jesus is our good news, the good news of life. A second point I want us to think about. Now, there are lots of ways that we can describe the good news that is contained here in this beautiful, precious book. But one way we can think about that is that in God's economy, we are offered, the good news offers us an alternative wage. You see, this world pays according to a broken pay scale. Our labors are rewarded with its currency, death. But God pays us according to his love, which is life. Martha and Mary came face to face with this good news. You can look at verses 22 through 27. Death, we read there in those verses, death was messing with Martha's mind. And doesn't death have an insidious way of doing that with us? At most inconvenient times, like when you're trying to go to sleep or be brave. Martha went to find Jesus and reasoned with him. We, we read once and then we read again, Martha saying, I know. Chuck Swindoll observes that, quote, Martha needed intellectual buttressing. Now Mary stayed in the house. She always seemed to be seated. She stayed in the house weeping. She needed Jesus to come to her. And again, Swindoll says of her, Mary needed emotional support. Both women needed Jesus. Martha needed to know that Jesus was in control, and Mary needed to know that Jesus cared for her. And Jesus met both of them in their need, and he does the same for you and for me, because sometimes I need God here, and other times I need God here. But God brings me peace of mind, and he brings comfort to my heart. 
And he does the same for you. Jesus is able to do this because Jesus is God. Self-evident, I realize, but we, we can never repeat that often enough. That's who God is. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. The, the Trinity says to us, speaks to us the truth that I am. And then he asks, as Jesus asked Martha, do you believe this? We need to really understand here clearly what Jesus was asking in that moment. He wasn't asking Martha if she believed he would bring her brother back to life. In John's gospel, we're not to that point yet. John wants us first to understand who meets us so that we can then fully understand how he confronts the bad news of our world. And Jesus here already understands that Martha and Mary both believe that he, Jesus, can do something miraculous here. That he, Jesus, can heal, could have healed Lazarus. Jesus is asking here a bigger question. He is asking Martha if her belief will allow her to step past her confidence in his miraculous power to trust in Jesus as the resurrection and the life. It's a huge step. Soren Kierkegaard, writing almost two centuries ago, called it the great leap of faith. Because it is a jump we've been examining now for a month and a half or more of the difference between seeing miracles, which are wonderful, and taking that step to deep faith that Jesus is who Jesus says he is. And today he says, I am the resurrection and the life. This is part of why Jesus said to Thomas, have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. See, knowing Jesus, believing in him with our life rests on who he is on who he is, not on what we've been able to observe about him. Because you see, God's truth is always much greater than our observations. What we see can be misleading, or haven't you noticed lately in your life? Martha stepped past sorrow to believe in Jesus as her life. Martha did not stop grieving. Grief is still real when you've taken that leap of faith, but she rested, she rested. She found comfort in the knowledge that Jesus is the Son of God who has come into the world and as such transforms death into life. You see, only as we see who Jesus is can we see how he deals with the sorrow of death. A third point I want us to think upon. The sorrow of death is real. Please don't hear anything I've said or, or am about to say. Don't let anything I say minimize the incredible reality of the sorrow of death. A father described his worst sorrow that moment when he had to confirm the death of his son. He said, at that sight, my world collapsed for the first time. I'd come to a hurdle I could not clear. Death throws up 
a mighty hurdle of grief and sorrow. Martha and Mary watched as their brother died. They'd really hoped that Jesus would come and heal him, but now it was too late. Lazarus was dead. They prepared his body and put it in the tomb and closed it with a stone. And when Jesus finally arrived, the tomb had been closed for four days. That was the length of time that the Jews believed. After three days on that fourth day, body and soul were now finally saved separated death was full complete that's why for most of those gathered in bethany it seemed as if there was no hope so they remained at the house weeping and you see the sorrow and tears here at this house in bethany they're the natural reaction of hurting humans no doubt about that but among the tears, also we, we catch here a note of scorn, even unbelief, because some of the mourners say, in effect, I'm paraphrasing here, this miracle worker could have saved Lazarus. So because he did not, then he's obviously not who he says he is. It's a contrast, is it not? Mart, contrast to, to Martha's faith-seeking understanding, to, to borrow from St. Anselm. I've encountered both of these at death. You have also. You've seen the amazing, soaring faith when death is present and also the doubts that creep in and come with sorrow. Jesus' response, not our reactions, but Jesus' response is really what we need to pay attention to here because the Lord's love is consistent in how he responds to all such moments. And the first thing we note is God doesn't mock. He doesn't chastise in any way, shape, or form here. But twice, we're told at verse 33 and verse 38, twice here, Jesus is described as being, quote, Deeply moved, as it is translated in the English Standard Version. Deeply moved. It's a great translation into English. But the Greek verb here describes something that may be surprising to you. It's, it's an outburst of outrage that is being described here. Anger, indignation. In fact, the, the, the root meaning of this Greek verb that is used here, translated deeply moved in English, the, the, really the deepest meaning of that Greek verb is it described the snort of an angry stallion. If you've never heard that, Google it. Why would Jesus respond like an angry stallion? snorting at these women he loved. He obviously loved them. He loved, we're told that he loved them. Twice we're told that he loved them. So what was Jesus reacting so strongly? At Mary and the others weeping? No, that's, that's ruled out. Perhaps it was that Jesus was angered by the disbelief of those who doubted who he is. John wants us to see deeper. So John adds in here something that helps us grasp this moment more fully. John writes that infamous shortest verse in the Bible. Jesus wept. And obviously the gospel wants us to see the depth of our Lord's emotion here. Don't discount that. He was saddened. He, he feels our pain. He comforts us. Blessed are they who mourn, they shall be comforted. But Jesus' reaction here is different from the others 
and their grief. And it's shown in the Greek. And, and I take you through this not to, to, uh, to do a, just simply do a Greek word study here. But, but we have to see here what's going on. The Greek for Jesus' tears is dekuo. And, and, and it literally says here, Jesus wept is a good translation. It, it really is. It works so perfectly. But literally, it says that Jesus burst into tears or he burst forth with tears. And it's the only time in the whole Bible that this, word, this verb is used. Now, Mary and the morning crowd, they're crying too. Also, they're, they're also crying, right? But the Greek verb used for their crying is kleo. And it means to weep, to cry, whether it's soft weeping or vehement sobbing. The Greek word for tears is related to to kruo, not to klio. And so Luke describes a woman who came to Jesus and washed his feet with her to on, her tears, and wiped his feet with her hair. And, and Paul, writing to his young associate, Timothy, remembers his decruon of joy. Jesus' tears, his decruon, burst out. Why is that? Because there's something greater going on here. Jesus shared tears that came from far deeper than any tears you and I have ever known. Jesus cries for Lazarus, absolutely. But, but not simply because he is dead. Jesus is about to change that situation, and he knows that. Jesus bursts forth because of a greater grief, because his friend represents the cost of a greater battle. Jesus knew that he would shortly say, come out. But now Jesus weeps, his tears pouring out for his friend Lazarus as he sees what sin and the evil one does. Because you see here at Bethany, just east, just two miles east of that that Mount of Olives, that that, that hill that uh, stands across the Kidron Valley from the city of Jerusalem, We know so well from so many Bible stories, so many pictures. Bethany stands just east, and here Jesus gazes upon this situation, Lazarus' death, and he sees in Lazarus' death the battle Jesus will soon face as he stands on the Mount of Olives and faces west and looks across the Kidron, across the city of Jerusalem, to that hellish hole called Golgotha, there Jesus on the cross will battle life against death. And we realize that on the cross, it will be his blood pouring out. But now in Bethany, it is his tears. I love how Matthew Henry described this moment. And his words comfort me greatly in the year 2021, even though he wrote these words exactly 300 years ago in 1721. He wrote, Jesus' tears were indications of his particular love to Lazarus, but he has given proofs no less evident of his love to all the saints in that he died for them. When he only dropped a tear over Lazarus, they said, see how he loved him. 
Much more reason have we to say so for whom he hath laid down his life. Jesus laid down his life so that we can have life after death. Paul wrote to the Corinthians, but in fact Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as by a man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive, but each in his own order, Christ the first fruits, then it is coming those who belong to Christ. Those who belong to Christ. Against death and its sin sting, God reveals the fourth point I want us to look at. The joy of resurrection. The joy of resurrection is that we can't figure it out. We can't touch it. We hear that truth, we read that truth, we believe that truth, but it's not ever anything that we can just totally get our arms around. But that's its great joy. It goes beyond anything we can observe. It goes beyond ourselves. And it is evidenced here at Lazarus's tomb because as those people gathered at the tomb of Lazarus that day, all they could see, the only thing they could see was the finality of death. Jesus comes, deeply moved, remember, indignant. Indignant, I believe, because God is always angry at the fact of death. It was not part of the creation that he intended for us. It, was not, it is not part of the abundant life he died to give us. Jesus, deeply moved, comes to the tomb and he says, move the stone out of the way. <laughs> Martha, Martha, Martha's always worried, isn't she? Martha is worried about, you know, he'll stinketh. But Jesus looks beyond the concerns of this world and reminds her, believe and you will see the glory of God. And Jesus looks to his father. And then Jesus shouted, Lazarus, come out. One commentator, I, I wish I could remember who it is. One of y'all will remember and you'll tell me, but one commentator with greatest faith in God said that if Jesus had not specifically said Lazarus' name, all the tombs would have opened up and everybody would have come out. That's the power of our God, is that he would have said come out and everybody would have come out. And that's how it will be in the day of resurrection. There will be that day coming when Jesus with trumpets shouting will come again and this world's perishable stench that clings to us so tightly now, it will be gone. And as Lazarus was garbed in the love of his Savior, so also we will be clothed with the imperishable and beloved. We will be able to see in that day Touch and feel and know the truth that death is swallowed up in victory. Praise be to God Almighty. And as Jesus 
was the first one to sing, we also will be able to sing. Jesus was the first one to sing the words that we read in 1 Corinthians 15. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? Jesus sang that song as he was brought up out of the tomb. Up from the grave he arose singing that refrain and he will sing it to the day that all of us come marching into heaven and we will say, oh, what have you got? Death, nothing, nothing, nothing at all. And we will see the joy of the resurrection. This is what Jesus was asking. Do you believe this? This is what I'm asking you. Do you believe this? Because if we don't believe this, then it doesn't matter. We're of all people to be pitied. We're stupid for gathering in this room each week. If we don't believe the joy of the resurrection, if we don't believe that someday every tear will be wiped from our eyes and there will be no more sorrow, if we don't believe that we will be able in that day to sing the great chorus of praise, thanks be to God who gives us the victory. Thanks be to God who gives us the victory. Can you say it with me? Thanks be to God who gives us the victory. How? Through our Lord Jesus Christ. Could God be the glory now and forevermore. And beloved, go forth in the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. In the love of God the Father and in the holy, sweet communion fellowship of our Holy Spirit, our indwelling Lord, go and be the resurrection and the life light shining in the world. To God be the glory. Amen.